0: We are here at the Sound of Tech to Come podcast, Vemon 2023. It is Wednesday, the last day of Veeamon, and I'm privileged to have Danny Allen, our CTO, with me this morning as our first guest. So Danny, do you want to welcome to the show and tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Well, Anthony, I'm so excited to be with you here today. I mean, Veeamon is the show of the year for me. I go to a lot of different conferences, but obviously this is our community, our customers, our partners. It's awesome. Yeah, so, you know, I'm Danny Allen. I'm CTO. I run product strategy here at Veeam. Uh, I've been here for six and a half years now. This is my seventh uh, VeeamON. Five of them in person, but two of them virtual. Mm -hmm. But um, it's always the best time of the year for me.
0: Yeah, we've been talking with a few guests that we've had on previously about how those virtual ones, I mean, they counted, but they, they weren't the same, obviously. So whenever I'm asking people how many VeeamONs they've been at, They actually separate the virtual with the physical, right? So, but effectively, and actually we we were last here four years ago, weren't we? It's crazy to think it's been four years since we were in Miami in 2019, right? It
1: is. And you know what? I have to say that Miami is my favorite venue. I was in Chicago. I was in New Orleans. I've been to uh, obviously the one in Vegas Vegas last year. But Miami has a special feel about it. I don't know if it's the, the size of the room, or the venue, or the location, but uh, this is special to me. I've always said 2019 was the best year, mm-hmm. up until this year, and yeah. this is my favorite one so far.
0: I actually agree, I, apart from the city being amazing, it's got something about it that's so different to other cities in the, in the US, and I, I love the feel of it. I love the all the art deco-ness, and the Cuban influence, and everything. And, in a couple of days early to soak that up, but you're right, this venue in itself is quite, um, it's it's big, but it's intimate at the same time. You don't feel, you never feel lost in this particular venue, the Fountain Blue um, Conference Center, which is steeped in history as well, isn't it? There's like, it's a Rat Pack hotel, right? This is was built for the Rat Pack, basically.
1: This hotel goes back a long way. But the great thing is, like you say, as you walk through the hallways here, you're running into people constantly and shaking hands and seeing people in other venues that are much larger and less intimate, to yeah. use your word, um, you don't have that same opportunity. And so for me, this is just more and closer interaction with the people that are attending.
0: Yeah, and what about the general feel that you're getting compared to previous VMONs with this VMON?
1: Just tremendous excitement. And the thing that stands out for me is in the past, it's very much been about the technology and the growth of the technology. And that's true here, but there's a new vibe around ransomware and security. Mm-hmm. And, and you've heard it on main stage yeah. and in all the products. And there's something about the security space and the ransomware space that is causing us to have deeper and more meaningful conversations. It's certainly driven data protection as a as a market to yep. the forefront of every conversation.
0: Yeah, I think that's actually I had a couple of comments from people on the episodes that were we'll released later on, obviously, but also just in general that obviously they didn't realize it'd be such a heavy focus on. Ransomware, But I think what we've been able to do is is bring that to the fore without going over top. I think Anand um, said it really well. There. He said marketing BS on stage. So we're okay to say that as well here, right? But I think we've definitely done it with the breadth of our data platform, the different technologies, the different products that we have, which in each of their own way act to basically be the tool set for our customers and partners to protect themselves against those cyber attacks.
1: hundred percent, yeah. The Veeam data platform helps and aids and supports in that mission, cyber resilience of the organization. But we're not over the skis with a marketing PS of we're a security company, because yeah. clearly we're not. We're just helping organizations be more resilient, keep their business running.
0: Yeah, exactly. So what's been your favorite... Um, I mean, obviously, you knew the announcements. We, we both knew some of the announcements beforehand. But of what we've seen on the main stage with regards to speci- specifically V12A, what's your... F- and we, we call it a minor release. Anton was very, very, you know he was actually really correct in saying it was a minor release all the time but we know it's not minor right so what was your favourite feature or maybe give me two
1: well my favourite feature by far and this is simply because I'm a security guy by nature is the inline ransomware detection and as you know it, it pains me a little bit to say that because we've had security mm. detection, malware detection for a long time. With Secure Store and using data integration uh, APIs, you can use third-party security yeah. tools to do that analysis. And within Veeam1, we've been doing observability and looking for our indicators of ransomware yep. for a long time. But what excites me is being able to do inline ransomware detection, essentially using the data proxies as you're passing it by, because there's so many advantages to that. It reduces the CPU, the I.O. of, of, you know, the scanning engine. You don't have to mount things and and create them. Um, And it does it for every incremental pass. You're you're not doing, you know, six petabytes of data. I was talking to a customer on Monday with six petabytes of data. And you don't have to do that massive
0: analysis. That's actually probably the biggest thing now that I think about it as to what D- differentiates it from what we had before, which we always felt was was there. We, we would call it, M- I guess you could call it MVP to a certain extent. We put it out there to see how functional it would be, but I don't think we, we understood the growth of data that was happening at the same time. Right? It was great for a 10-gig machine, 20-gig machine, but we know that people have petabytes and, and gigabytes, like huge machines these days. So when it can actually do the inline on the blocks, inline incrementals, that's the big benefit of it, but also we've got the guest indexing as well. Which so we actually, the way that I was talking to R and D about this, we've we've gone through multiple attempts, and in fact, um, Dmitry Popov, who's leading that charge, talked about it in the four ways, including the first way that we had in the previous versions. But now you've got the inline ransomware scanning that's doing it actually inline, um, using that it's using some sort of compression algorithm to work out what. Uh, oh, sorry, not a compression algorithm. A encryption algorithm to work out how encrypted the blocks were compared from the first pass to the Mm -hmm. second pass based on the percentage and it comes, this is suspect potentially, check it out. Then we've got the guest indexing, which basically, like I showed on stage yesterday, has a a JSON file with a bunch of known extensions. Threshold can be, you know, adjusted. I think that's a very big important thing of that. We're doing, again, going on our flexibility and choice that we give to our partners and our customers They don't have to accept what we give them. They can tune it to make sure that they get not as many false positives. What do you think? Because you've done security. So how um, sort of important is worrying about false positives in this world?
1: Well... It's everything because if you can't trust the technology, I always have the statement I say, technology can reach uh, can never reach its full potential unless people trust the technology. Yeah. And if you're getting false positives or false negatives, yes. it has a massive impact on the willingness to adopt within the organization. So the second you start seeing false positives show up, you've lost your audience Absolutely. and you can't, afford, uh, you can't afford to do that.
0: Yeah. And then the fourth one was, and which we haven't really talked about, in fact, we didn't talk about it, there's an API that we can extend to, which I think uh, our technology partners can actually plug into as well to do something in that inline scanning as well, which I'm not sure if we've really talked about it too much at all, really. No, we haven't. And and that's the type of thing about Veeam. We always... When I
1: say we're low-key, we're certainly not over the skis, over-marketing. And you see that in the data protection space, as you know. Organizations Absolutely. out there making claims that some are just patently false, but certainly <laughs> others that are over-marketing. But we're very conservative in our approach. We're very pragmatic. And you see that from our customers. They're so passionate about Veeam yeah. simply because we're pragmatic about what works, what doesn't work.
0: Do you sometimes think that we should be more Aggressive in, in that? We've, we've, we've talked about this in the team, right? We have multiple teams' chats about when we see that behaviour out in the world. And the, the trailing thought is always let's let them make the news and we can just be, you know, a little bit... We'll, we'll let them make the noise and let them step on their own toes, basically. But do you often feel that maybe we should be a little bit more, you know, not as passive? I won't say aggressive, not sure. as passive.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yes and no. I mean, there is no binary black and white answer to this. Yeah. This is very much a cultural thing. I grew up yeah. in Canada, as you well know. And Canada, <laughs> Canadians tend to be very hesitant to over-promote themselves. And so the natural <laughs> side of me doesn't want to over-promote myself. However, uh, it is true that we do amazing things like extending APIs to third parties to do inline detection. We do inline entropy detection. Now they can add their value to it. Yeah. So those are the types of things that we just have to be more loud and proud about those capabilities yeah. rather than... Um, you know, we don't have to beat our chest, but make sure the world knows the capabilities yeah. that we
0: have. I always talk about it when I'm talking to customers these days and our SE team and the sales team, just to be a little bit more on the offense. Yes. I think that's the way to, to, to describe it. Don't be defensive about it. Be off, offensive about the way, like it's a basketball game. right? We won't talk about the basketball. Boston did have a, a good win last <laughs> night, now that I come to think about it. And I reckon it's opened the door a little bit it has. Oh, yeah. my,
1: son, my son texted me and said, this is the beginning of something epic. Yeah, they
0: definitely did. And this episode will probably come out next week, so we would have known the result by then. So let's see how we go. Just for, to frame it, obviously, Danny is from New Hampshire, close to Boston. I think you've got an affinity for the Boston teams in America um, from Australia, but I've always followed the Miami Heat, so that's just my thing. So, yeah, we, we've got a bit of a friendly rivalry going on today. Um, so what about the? We mentioned, what was the second? I think I know what the second most favourite thing in V12A is, but what's your second most favourite?
1: You probably don't know Ooh, what oh, my second most favourite oh. one is.
0: I'm taking I'll just assume that it was my object storage one, but it is clearly not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't get me wrong, I love object storage backup, and I think that's probably what everyone expected that I would jump to. But, yeah. but actually, my second favourite one is the SIEM, security incident and event management integration, simply because I know that CISOs and organizations at the very top level, they're continually monitoring the risk factor of their organization, and clearly your data protection capabilities are a part of that. And actually, one of those minor things that we don't talk about that will feed into that is the best practices guide. In version 12 and 12A, we continue to tell customers, hey, you're following best practices, you're not, we're seeing this, we're seeing that. But bubbling that up into the corporate organizational incident and event management system, I think is so critical. So, and it's very much a partner ecosystem thing, but that's my second and, favorite thing. Yeah,
0: and I think that's, um, you know, as we, from an enterprise point of view as well, that's very important, right, to get into that sort of space. The And yeah, that best practice analyzer that we have, I think doesn't, didn't get almost any sort of screen time uh, for 12, um, the version 12, did it? Like, it's there, it's beautiful, it works, but I don't think, from my personal Mm -hmm. opinion, we didn't shout about it enough, right? It's just kind of was released as a almost secondary sort of feature of V12, but it's beautiful in itself, isn't it?
1: It is, we didn't talk about it at all. Again, something extremely powerful that we needed to be more loud and proud about, but we're enhancing it again in 12A, we're adding more capabilities to it. But what's your favorite feature in 12A?
0: Well, you know what? I think the inline ransomware detection is definitely important. So from the level of importance, I think that one is my favourite because of what it can do, what it lets us um, defend against and go on the offence with regards to, you know, when we're in a competitive situation. um, I like the fact that we're doing it our own way, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think it's a very purposeful way. We're, We're not forcing our customers and partners to go down a certain path. We're not shoving down the fact that it's a special feature built on, we, we, we did use some of the AI and ML wording on, on stage, obviously, but we know that, you know, in the background, it's, it's a it's an algorithm because everything's an algorithm at the end of the day doing its thing. So that's how I like to say it. But I think that one would be... And obviously, you, you know that I've been pushing for some sort of object storage, backup, orchestration, whatever you want to call it, for a very long time now. Probably, I don't know, when I sent that first email to you, I've, um, I still remember the email, um, probably about more, it was five or so years ago, and I said, like, we should do this, you know? So I think that one clearly is going to be a great opportunity for providers, service providers, to pick up, create some services around it, and just generate that data to the public. We've talked about the data going into object storage for the last, what, since 9.5, right? Mm-hmm. That's when we first brought out object storage capabilities. And you've always got those great stats about how much data has gone into the public cloud. Um, did, Anton, oh, not Anton, did, did Anand give a updated figure on that yesterday? It was a more of a general zettabyte sort of figure, wasn't it? It wasn't specifically what we had given into the public cloud over the last 12 months, was it?
1: No, it wasn't. We have mentioned in the past in the, in the public number here is we sent an exabyte of data, <clears throat> pardon me, into the public cloud in 2023, yeah. sorry, 2022. 22. And I expect that to continue to grow, especially because in version 12, we have direct object storage. Yeah. And so I expect to see that significantly grow, but. We're adding, like I say, it's a it's about 100 petabytes uh, per month easily yeah. into the public cloud now.
0: And final question on the on the product is: Where do you see object storage settling in in the future?
1: When you say settling, like what do this you mean generally,
0: by that? like from a obviously the perception is public cloud, Amazon S3. That's where it's had its most you know time to shine from a marketing perspective, and that's what people associate with it. But clearly, there's a push for it to become primary on-premises storage, right? So is is it going to become that dominant form of storage you know on pre- on premises
1: i think so 100% there what we've seen is an increase in the performance certainly yes. of object storage over the last few years and it has the benefits of infinite scalability and it has cost advantages but what i think and expect to happen if you look at organizations like Scality, for example, yeah. they begin to converge uh, file and object into a single system that exposes itself in, in multiple ways. And I expect in the long run that that is how storage will begin to manifest itself. It's one storage system, yeah. but it is many different entry points into mm. it.
0: Because in the past, what that would have represented was someone putting a header or some sort of software in front of a, of a block file system to present it as S3. or Remember Swift? The yes. Swift protocol yes that's when I first started playing with it it was quite horrible because no one actually act- nothing really interacted with it but we had to keep it there that was the first Ceph sort of in- implementations but I think now it's becoming more that primary focus when they are releasing their new platforms and a new system okay final question just give us your general roundup of vamon for 2023
1: well just so exciting and exhilarating to be here the the passion of the of the community has not diminished at all and that, and I'm Especially enthusiastic, but that simply because we did go through COVID and last year was a bit of a tentative, as you know, mm-hmm. you know, it was a bit smaller, people weren't, were hesitant, but we're back at it now. It's clear the industry is growing. It's clear there's demand around um, security and ransomware and, and the possibility of data. I was really excited by your demo, Anthony, of, of Spot Rover, robot, simply because it, it talks about where this industry is going and the potential for data to change every aspect of our life. Yeah.
0: And actually we can, we can now kind of we can fill in the part that I didn't do on stage I think which is pretty interesting because we definitely can have a situation where a platform like that will upload you know images to an S3 bucket we can protect that data that's a tenuous link we're trying to make with with Spotrite when we first were working at how do we how do we take this um, this robot from Boston Dynamics which has clearly been bought by marketing to be a bit of a prop how do we add and give it the respect that it deserves from a technology point of view from the platform point of view so Yeah, we know that we've got customers, Edward mentioned it, who are using it to upload primary data, system data, from their um, going on its missions, and that data needs to be backed up. So that's, I think, where we can tie it together from that point of view.
1: And not just protected. You think about the large language models or the LLMs that are taking those massive sets of data, those images of burning buildings or whatever it happens to be, and start applying machine learning and artificial intelligence to make them even smarter in the future. It, it highlights the imperative of the data protection of that as you build out those large models that have massive sets of ingest data. Yeah,
0: awesome. Hey, Danny, thanks for being on the show. This is VEMON 2023, the sound of tech to come. Thank again, Danny. Thank you, Anthony. Awesome.
1: All right.